Welcome to Victory GP. We're excited you've joined us, and we hope you're impacted and inspired by today's message. Yeah, so Lord, we thank you for the body and the blood. We thank you for the price that was paid for us. We thank you for the invitation into fellowship and communion with you, relationship with you. Not just knowing about you, but knowing you. Not just walking in a way that recognizes you, but walking with you. Coming to feast in your presence, God. Lord, we thank you that even as we walk this life on this earth, your word tells us that you prepare a table for us in the presence of our enemies, where we can sit and commune with you, where we can partake of who you are. And God, today, God, we pray for a fresh revelation of the gift of this relationship, of this holy communion you've invited us into, to know you and to be known, to love you and to be loved by you, to walk with you in every day, in every hour, in every moment, to breathe the breath of life that you give us, to recognize the sweetness of your presence in it. God, today we pray for a holy awakening amongst your people, where we have been casual in any way, where we've taken you for granted in any way. Lord, we've, where we've allowed our hearts to become calloused or hard or cynical in any way. God, today we ask for a holy awakening. We ask that that river that flows from the throne of God would flow through this house and bring healing where necessary. that the fire would burn through and purify and cleanse where necessary. That the blood would flow and forgive and cleanse where necessary. Lord, as you've called us into this time of fasting, as a time of consecration, a time to be set apart and marked by you, God, help us to not take it casually or lightly. Help us to grasp the depth of what it means to be called sons and daughters of God. That by the spirit of adoption, we cry out, Abba, Father, and we recognize that we're not alone. But you are here in this place. before you today and we ask for an encounter that would mark us for the rest of our lives on this earth
that this would be a day we look back on and we say, I was never the same. Because I met the king. And I surrendered and I gave him everything. And he gave me so much more in return. We invite you, Holy Spirit. We invite you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. Well, I'm going to try and get through the message this morning. been blubbering since I woke up. (laughs) Thank you, God. Thank you, Daylene. Do you feel the weight of his presence? It's like you almost want to like get off your chair and sit on the floor because we need to get low before him. Today we're talking about holy unto the Lord and we've, we've been walking down this path a little bit the last couple of weeks. Two weeks ago, I spoke on the season of extremes that I believe God's calling us into and the the line where the middle area gets cut out and things are extremely good or extremely hard. And it really depends on how we're handling the presence of God. It really depends on who we're leaning into and what team we're on. It really depends on how we handle what it is that he tells us and how he speaks to us and how he ministers to us. And so today, as we've gone through this time of fasting so far this week, today's only day six, we are not actually celebrating the emblems of communion today. We're going to do it Wednesday night. And I know not everybody will necessarily be here, but I want to invite everybody six o'clock till seven, seven thirty, something like that. And we are going to celebrate the actual emblems of communion together. We'll push it like as far back into the actual partaking together as far back as we need to, to make room for people getting off work. But there's something very holy about communion. And I was reminded, you know, <laughs> I was reminded as we were breaking open the bread and the smell of the fresh bread that just, you know, maybe because you're fasting, whatever, but instantly, instantly the saliva glands start going, you know, and it's like, oh man, it smells so good. And when Jesus instituted communion and he broke the bread and he said, this is my body that's broken for you. And that same way that that smell of fresh bread causes a craving and a desire and you know it's going to satisfy, we're intended to come to the presence of God like that, craving him, ready to bite in and taste and see that he's good. That's what we're intended for. And I think sometimes, you know, in our simplicity of doing things the correct way and the modern way and blah, blah, blah. And now we got those little cups with the little plastic cover and then the little fake bread thing that sort of dissolves and sort of doesn't. And then you take off another plastic cover and then there's like the stale juice. And I'm like, I mean, Jesus, Jesus broke the fresh bread 
and he passed the wine. And today we've got water in the cup. Wayne's like, what if he turns it to wine? I'm like, we are doing communion this morning then. If that, if God shows up, I'm going to keep checking, but we will change the plan if that happens for sure. (laughs) But you know, our systems of man are designed to take the holiness out of the moment and do what's comfortable and do what's convenient and do what's, what's the most obvious and sensible. And in the simplicity of what communion is supposed to be, and we can, we can make that even more simple, more, more, you know, correct for us. We can do that with all the things of the kingdom and all the things of relationship. We can, we can bring God down to the lowest place of usage, the lowest place of connection. Where did I pray today? Well, I prayed over my meal, the 12 second prayer maybe on a good day. You know, we've, we've come to the place where so often we just treat with casualness what it was, w- what is available to us in worship. We've got, we've got things where we can, I mean, I can pull up my phone and I can access thousands of worship songs and I can decide which ones I like, like they're for me. We were talking with Wayne's dad a couple weeks ago and he was, he was talking about how Wayne's great-grandpa, they, great-grandpa? They used to live down in central Alberta back in kind of the, when the Bible Belt was being built in our province. And the whole Ernest Manning as premier and that he would do like radio shows and preach the Bible. And there was a pocket of believers at that time that would gather together and, and do things like haul a real piano up into the loft of a barn to have a worship meeting. That's what our family has been part of over the years desperate to gather and worship the Lord together. And now we ask ourselves, do I like it? How do I feel about it? Do I have time? Am I interested? And this is not meant to be condemning. I am, I am, I am cautious with how we present this today because I, I'm walking through things myself. What does it mean to be, in today's message, holy to the Lord? What does it mean to be holy to the Lord. And we talked a couple of weeks ago about what consecration means, and it actually means holiness, and holiness means consecration, but essentially it means in definition set apart, consecrated to God, separate, dedicated, pure, sacred. The Bible tells us to be holy as He is holy. Well, we sure can't be perfect. None of us goes through a day probably without something that's not perfect. But can I be set apart? Can I live a life that is wholly dedicated to the Lord? Can I live a life that is marked by Him, that His presence is obvious on my life? Romans 6, 22 and 23, and we're going to read it in the Amplified. And it says, but now since you've been set free from sin and have become the slaves of God, you have your present reward in holiness and its end is eternal life. But for the wages of sin pays in death, but the bountiful free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. The free gift of God in the Amplified, that is his remarkable, overwhelming gift of grace to believers is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. But now, since you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, you have You have your benefit resulting in sanctification, being made holy, 
set apart for God's purposes, consecrated, holy. What the Spirit of God is reminding us today is that God's people shouldn't have to tell people that they're God's people. It should be obvious. We are set apart as holy unto the Lord. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, not Sunday mornings, not home group nights, not men's mentorship groups, not ladies' Bible study. These things are tools that help us. But every part of my life is meant to be dedicated to the Lord. How I function as a wife, how I function as a husband, how I function as a parent, how I function as an employer, as an employee, as a volunteer, as a, as a consumer, as a, as a purchaser, as a, you know, whatever we do, do it all for the glory of God. Meaning we, not what we do, we are holy, set apart, consecrated to the Lord. It is obvious that every word that comes out of my mouth, that the decisions that I make, the things that I do, the things that I pursue, the cravings of my life, the places I spend my money, it's dedicated to the Lord. And to the best of my ability, I walk it out for His glory. It's the place where when Jesus said, you know, we were... He was breaking the body. This is my body that is broken for you. Specifically in John 6, 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger and he who believes in me shall never thirst. Jesus was saying, I am actually everything that you need. And when he said that, he was saying it to people who prior to that have been doing all the things related to food for the legal reasons. For those of you who have started on your read through the Bible in a year program and you're reading through, you might be at Exodus or Leviticus right now and it's just feeling like it's mind numbing. It's, you know, cook this that way and take off this part and boil this and fry that and smoke that. And it's all, it's all the stuff. And it's, it's this process that we go through or we did go through in the old days that wasn't really about the food, but God was saying, what I am is holy and what you ingest must be holy. It must be set apart. It must be sanctified. It must be for, for me and in me. And God was really specific that everything that they ate in the Old Testament, it, it had to be without the blood because the life is in the blood. And so everything, the blood had to be drained out of every animal that they were going to eat, every, everything that they took in. There was a very specific reason that, that that life had to be taken out because their life was meant to come from God. So when Jesus came and he said, I am the bread of life, he who comes to me shall never hunger and he who believes in me shall never thirst. He took all of those things that we read and boil this and bake that and cut this and fry this and smoke that and, and, and drain this, Jesus came and he said, it is all met in me. I am 
the bread. I am what you crave. I am the satisfaction of your life. I am the one who supplies your needs. I am the one who sustains your life. I am the one who meets you in your broken places and brings healing. I am the bread of life. Jesus was saying everything changes because of me. And this was a, this was a revolutionary thing. God used food as a symbol for a spiritual reality. Food we understand because it, 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 it addresses a physical need. We can address the senses and recognize the feelings and the things that go around it. But the physical is just meant to point towards what is spiritual. And so this is why we read in Psalms 34, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. Oh, taste and see that he is good. Blessed is the man who trusts uh, trusts in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. There is no want in those who fear him. The young lions suffer lack and suffer hunger, but those who seek the Lord, they shall not lack any good thing. Those who partake of him, those who feast on his goodness, those who feast on his faithfulness, those who taste and see that he is good, lack no good thing. God promises he will be the one that meets their needs. And so what we're recognizing is that God's saying, I want you to be holy to me. Be different, be separate. And when you are, and when you do, I will meet every need. I will be your source. When you walk in holiness, it's going to change everything about your life. And again, we're not talking like rules. We're talking separate unto the Lord. And when my heart is separate unto the Lord, it changes my behavior. In fact, holiness has this thing that happens. It directs our identity, our relationships, our actions, our reactions, our purpose. Holiness changes everything about how we do life. And so today we're going to talk about this and break it down. Number one, the identity that comes with holiness. The opposite of holiness is not deep, willful sin. The opposite of holiness is common. The opposite of holiness is common. There's a story in the Bible, and we're going to get into it, Daniel chapter 1, and this has been our theme going through this, this fast And Daniel chapter one was the the passage that the Lord gave me when we called this fast and the theme that he was leading us into. And Daniel, as we know, I mean, Daniel's like this amazing prophetic book that contains so much of the Holy Spirit. It connects to end time prophecies. You can understand a lot of what you read in Revelation by what you read in Daniel. But Daniel at the beginning of the story story is when God's people, due to their sin, due to treating God as common, were taken into captivity. And Babylon, which we now know is prophetically, it's the symbol, that is the symbol of the world systems. Babylon took captive God's people. And at the beginning of the story, it's very interesting because it says in verse three, the king instructed somebody, the master of his eunuchs, to bring some of the children of Israel and some of the king's descendants and some of the king's nobles, young men in whom there was no blemish, good-looking, gifted in wisdom, possessing knowledge and quick to understand, who had the ability to serve in the king's palace, and whom they might teach the language and literature of the Chaldeans. And this, this little portion here is so interesting because what it was is that Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, Babylon 
prophetically symbolizing world systems, said, I want the best. I want God's best. And he said, when you go in and you're killing and you're taking cities, I want the king's sons. I want the king's children. I want the fruit of his life and I want them here with me. And the first thing they did is emasculate them, strip them of their identity. They served as eunuchs the rest of their lives, stripped their identity and their ability to bear further fruit and said, bring them near to me and we will teach them our ways. We'll teach them how to speak. We'll teach them how to act. We'll teach them how things work and we'll feed them from our table. Spirit, soul, body. They started with the body. They moved to the soul. They were after the spirit. Let's emasculate them, destroy the body. Let's teach them our things, our ways, our words. Spirit, soul, body. The soul is mind, will, and emotions. So we'll take the body. We'll take the soul. And then we'll feed them from the king's table. Now that sounds like body until you realize that God had told his people to eat differently because the food was a symbol of something else. And so it says that there's this group of them. Amongst them, there was this group that had gathered. And it's interesting because it's, you know, for all of those who have the veggie tale memories, Rakshak and Benny, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and Daniel were four that were grouped together. There was more, but there was four that was grouped together. And those four lived a different life. They lived a different life because from the beginning, they made a decision. They couldn't affect what happened to their body and they couldn't really deal that much with what happened to their soul, but they decided with their spirits. And it says in Daniel 1.8, Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he requested of the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Why? Because what they cooked in Babylon, what was on the king's table was meat with blood in it. It wasn't that Daniel wasn't, didn't care for the king's food. Obviously, nobody else came into agreement with this except for these four guys. The rest of them were like, you know what? You bring me into captivity. You do this to me. I'm going to eat what I get. This is awesome. I deserve to be fed. I deserve the good stuff. At least I'm not one of those people that's doing without. I'm going to eat all the good stuff I can get from this land. How many of God's kids have have set aside what God's best is for us and we will take all the good of this land that we can get? We will be satisfied with the king's delicacies. We will decide that it's worth it for the things of this world, but this is temporary. So Daniel says, I will not defile myself. Please do not make me defile myself. What he was saying was not, I don't want to eat a steak. What he was saying is, I will not serve your God. I will not serve your God. I belong to somebody else. I am holy unto the Lord. I am set apart. I am not feeding it just because you put it on the table. I am not taking it in. Just because it's there doesn't mean it has to be yours. I will not defile. The word means desecrate, pollute, or stain myself. I will not desecrate, pollute, or stain myself with the things of this land. He asked the the captain of the eunuchs to test them because the guy was like, I don't want to get in trouble for not doing what I'm supposed to do. He's like, give us 10 days and test us. 
This is why we're doing 10 days right now, by the way. And it's not a vegetarian thing. They ask for vegetables mainly because they don't want the meat cooked the way that meat is cooked. It's not about not eating meat. It's about being set apart. And it says in verse 17, as for these four young men, God gave them knowledge and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. Now at the end of the days, when the king had said they should be brought in, the, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. So it's a three-year process, actually. They were supposed to be trained and, and raised up in the, the things of this land for three years. Verse 19, then the king interviewed them, and among them there was none found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Rakshak, and Benny. Therefore, they served the king. And in all matters of wisdom and understanding about which the king examined them, he found them 10 times better than all the other magicians and astrologers who were in his realm. And what this is telling us, they didn't like serve him as in they served him to honor him. They were able to bring about wisdom to Babylon because they were dedicated to the Lord. We are called to be in this world, but not of it. Meaning if we are not of this world, but we are in it, we can draw on the wisdom of heaven and provide solutions to earthly situations. We can draw on the counsel of heaven and provide uh, breakthroughs and openings that are on this, this realm where others can't see a way through, but God's going to make a way through. We can move in signs, wonders, and miracles because we're drawing from a heavenly kingdom to release it into the earthly realm. This is what Daniel and the boys did back in the day. They they didn't serve the king as in honor him, worship him. They did their business. They did their job, but they did it as set apart Hebrew men of God. Set apart and different. We are called to this same kind of lifestyle, set apart and different. And was it tested? Of all the Hebrew boys, we only hear about four others or four that in secondary circumstances. One is Daniel again, who ends up in the lion's den to stand his ground. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who end up in the fiery furnace to stand their ground. And God walks Daniel through the lion's den without a tooth mark. And he walks Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego out of the fire without the smell of smoke. It doesn't mean being holy to the Lord means everything's going to be easy. It means we go through with the fourth man in the fire. It means because I decide I will not defile myself. I will not defile myself with the things of this life. I'm going to be set apart and be holy. I will walk through without the smell of smoke without teeth marks on my legs. I will not be eaten up and destroyed by this realm as long as I am set apart as holy. It's about number two, relationship. Genesis 1, 16 and 17, from the very beginning, the Lord God commanded and he said, of every tree of the garden, you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And obviously the word eat and how it's used here in the Hebrew is consume, devour, or feed upon. Of every tree in the garden, you may freely eat. Of all the good stuff that God provides for you, take it in, enjoy it, taste and see that he is good. But of the things that belong to a different realm, the day you consume it, the day you devour it, the day you feed upon it, you partake of death. The very beginning of the book starts with food. The very end of the book 
is the banquet supper of the Lamb. The marriage supper of the Lamb, we are feasting on both ends. But what we're feasting on changes the outcome of the end. In this spot, in the beginning of the book, God says, when I put before you life and death and you choose death, when you bite into it, things begin to die on the inside. Things begin to fail on the inside. And this is what happens when we look at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and Daniel. We see when they chose to eat what was right, and we're not talking physical food, when they chose to align themselves with God. When they chose to be set apart as holy and they would not consume, they would not consume the things that look good, smell good, taste good, but were not good. When they decided to be set apart and holy, they were wiser, healthier, more, more knowledgeable, more able than anybody else. It's not about withstaining and abstaining so that we can suffer. It's about being holy so we can walk in his fullness. The identity that we have with him as sons and daughters of God requires us then to move into this relationship. And it's it's what we decide to do. Proverbs 23, 1 to 3 in the Amplified, again, it, it talks about a very similar situation. And it says, when you sit down with to dine with a ruler, consider carefully what is set before you. <laughs> For you will put a knife to your throat You will put a knife to your throat. It's not a trick of the English language. Be very careful what you eat when you sit down to dine with a ruler. The things of this age, the principalities, the powers, the rulers of wickedness in heavenly places. When you sit down in those realms, because we live in the world, we're not separate from it. We live in it, but we're not of it. Be very careful about what is set before you. For you will put a knife to your throat if you are a man of great appetite. Come on now. I need you to hear this with your prophetic understanding. If we desire, crave, go after the things of this world, the things that are not born of the spirit, but they are born of the flesh and often born out of the demonic. If we crave that, if that's the passion of our life, that's the drive of our life, you will lead yourself into a place of death on the inside. You will walk yourself into a place of death on the inside. Do not desire his delicacies, for it is deceptive food offered with questionable motives. Come on. It is deceptive food offered with questionable motives. I could land on this for a while, but I'm going to let the Holy Spirit do his work. Ask him. Ask him what's been looking good to you that's deceptive food. It could be as simple as what pops up on your phone. I'm telling you what, that swipe right is nothing compared to a wife. It might be, here's the big money, but you're going to have to be away from your family for six to eight weeks at a time. It might be, this is going to help you relax and unwind, but it's going to debilitate you from holding down the job that it's going to take to sustain your family. What are the things that look good, but they are deceptive food offered to you with questionable motives? When the cravings are there, I like what C.S. Lewis, he says, 
if we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we are made for another world. Isn't that good? The probability, the reason that we chase things is because we're not made for here. And therefore, we are supposed to, Psalm 34, 8 to 10, taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see that he is good. And blessed is the man who trusts in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. There is no want in those who fear him. The young lions lack and suffer hunger, but those who seek the Lord shall not lack any good thing. The craving is there for a reason. It's not meant for something. It's for someone. It's for someone. And God is calling us into this place. And this is communion. This is holy communion. It's the place of relationship. Is when I feel angry, I run to you. When I feel sad, I run to you. When I feel helpless, I run to you. When I feel scared, I run to you. You are the place of my communion. You are the place where I find life. I find hope. I find joy. I find satisfaction. I find hope for the future. I find vision. I find purpose. I find a reason to breathe again. The suicidal spirit hovers on that place of loss of hope. When we feel like there's nothing worth living for, there is a one who is our living hope. And we are intended to run to him and taste and see that he is good. When your spouse looks like somebody you should walk away from or your kids just are driving you crazy and you wonder if you should just walk out. Taste and see that he is good. The answers are there when the budget looks like there's just no way it's going to balance. There's no answer for this. When the, the, the medical reports are hopeless, we taste and see that he is good. We don't encourage ourselves with the deceitful things that are offered before us. We run to the one who offers us life. This is holy communion. But now let's finish up with this the purpose of this and our actions and reactions to it. And it's very important that we understand this is holy communion. He is holy. When we come and we meet with him, and we talked about yesterday, if you're studying fasting, Isaiah 58 talks about the fast that God chooses. And he says, you could be doing all the stuff. You could be doing all the functions of church and your heart is not pleasing to me. What you're doing is not pleasing to me because it's about the relationship. It's about the deeper things. We need to ask ourselves why we're doing what we're doing and what is the state of our heart and are we holy or common and are we treating him as holy or common? The word warns us that there's a time when the people of God will have a form of godliness but deny its power. And I believe for the most part, that is where the church rests at the moment, where we're not seeing what we should be seeing. And we sometimes cry out, why God, why? Why? Why aren't you doing this? Why aren't you moving in this way? Why are we seeing more miracles and signs and wonders? Why isn't there more? Isaiah 58, we read yesterday, the people are doing all the things and they're fasting and they're sacrificing and they're saying, God, why do we cry out to you and you don't listen to us? And God's like, because you're mistreating people, because you're treating me as common, because you actually are not holy unto me at all. And what you're doing is not pleasing to me. If God's not moving like we know he wants to, the ball gets tossed back into our court. And how are we handling ourselves in these moments? And 
If you've got your Bible, I want you to, it's one thing to see it on the screen. I want you to see it. And there's a very specific reason we are not doing communion today and we're not going to do it until Wednesday. 1 Corinthians 11 is the Lord's Supper as Paul's talking about it and instituting it. And he's saying, like, you guys got a problem. I'm hearing all these things about what happened. You gather together for the Lord's Supper. You gather together for communion. And some of you are coming early and you eat so much, there's nothing left for anybody else. And some of you are drinking so much wine, you're drunk before the party even gets going. You're not doing this for the right reasons. And there's a problem. And you know what we've done to solve that problem? We've put it in little plastic cups and we give you your little piece of bread. So nobody's getting too much or too little. And nobody can misuse communion. I mean, we also don't necessarily all want to share the same cup for germs, but there's, there, there's a sanitization of the process of the heart. Because what is being talked about here, what Paul talks about is not, he's, he's not just talking about actual food consumption. He's talking about you are not handling this relationship well. I mean, these are first-generation believers. Like, these are the ones that didn't walk with Jesus, but the ones right after, it took one generation to forget how important this is, how valuable it is, how holy he is. One generation away from watching the blood drip down the cross. One generation away from the thorns in his brow. One generation from seeing him risen from the dead with hands that have holes in them from the price that he paid one generation away and they gather to celebrate him and abuse it. Treat it common. It's like it's a pizza and a Coke instead of the blood and body of Jesus Christ who gave everything. And I'm going to pick this up in verse 23 which is what we read when we do this. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Do this in relationship with me. Do this as a holy act set apart to remind you that we're in covenant together. Verse 25, in the same manner, he also took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats this bread and drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. In other words, there is a loss of the power and the manifest presence of God. There is a slumber that has settled. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. 
But when we are judged, we're chastened by the Lord that we may not be condemned with the world. Therefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another, do things purposefully, do things well. And what he's talking about here, obviously, we have gatherings where we come together and we have assigned times where nobody's getting ahead of anybody. Nobody's eating too much or too little. Nobody's drinking too much or too little. What he's saying is you have failed to remember how holy God is. You have failed to remember that just because there is not necessarily the same immediate consequences that we see in the Old Testament, he's still a holy God. Old Testament, God would be slighted by the the choices of mankind choosing to honor the gods of this world, and he would open up the earth and swallow them alive. Fire would fall from heaven and consume. Hailstones would fall and kill people. Praise God, we're New Testament believers, but that doesn't make him any less holy or any less offended by our sin. I know this is a hard word, but feel the nudging of the Holy Spirit on this one. What we are headed into demands an extreme people who extremely know their God. A people who are holy as he is holy. A people who have decided to be set apart and marked and do not do things in an unworthy manner. And he uses these words repeatedly. Verse 27, therefore, whoever eats this bread and drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, unworthy literally means irreverently or unfit. Irreverently or unfit. What what is irreverence? Treating God as common. And it's not just about those days that we take communion. You got to understand this. It means every time we come into his presence and we are communing with him person to person, when we're meeting with him face to face and we treat him as common, we are doing this. We are communing with him in an unworthy manner. Unfit. What makes us unfit? Unconfessed sin. Now he has, he has paid the price. He has shed his blood. But we confess our sins and he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us. When we come in and we're just like, God, you know, you're my homeboy. You understand where I'm at. Man, it was a rough week. I just, man, I, I just struggled every day and never ran arrest. Bleep, bleep, bleep. But you understand, God, you know my heart. You know my inner workings. Common. He is holy. He is holy. It says that when we do this, when we commune with him in an unworthy manner, we are guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. Guilty means liable for. It means the price that was paid for us, we step into. And we go, now now I'm guilty of it. Now I owe it again. When I can't recognize that he's still God Almighty, judgment transfers. Verse 29, for he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. Some of the things that we're walking under as the body of Christ is not that God is doing bad things and it's not even the enemy is attacking, it's that we have stepped out of covering because we've treated him as common. We've desired the world's delicacies. We've pursued the world's delicacies. And we've taken them in and it has cost us this place of wholeness in him. I'm not talking about, you know, you lost your salvation necessarily or whatever. I'm talking about the communion that you share with him. 
I can guarantee you when you have felt a loss of his presence, it is probable that there's a place of consecration that needs to be gone back to. That often there's something God has said or nudged or directed and we have said, no, not interested. And we forget that he's God. He doesn't have to ask us things. He gets to tell us things. He doesn't have to ask us how we feel about it. He says, if you are mine and it's no longer you that lives, but it's me who lives in you, this is the plan. And when we follow the plan and we see the example of Daniel and the boys and we see the spirit of God rest upon them and we see favor make space for them and in the midst of a terrible situation, they rose to the top and they brought solutions and they walked in wisdom and they were healthy and they were strong and they were able to steer things to the point that Daniel, when the time came, was able to open the book and understand the prophetic words and know what was going on. He had encounters with God because they decided to be set apart and be holy. As we walk forward into this year, this is not the... This is not the instruction of a pastor. It's not the passion of a person. I want you to open your Bibles when we read verses like this, because I want you to understand I'm not cherry picking out of nowhere. It's talking about what it's talking about. For real. And it didn't change. God didn't change. And his word didn't change. His holiness didn't change. His desire for his people didn't change. His ability to heal and restore didn't change. Who he has designed you to be didn't change. But it's not his job to fix our mistakes. It's our job to bring our mistakes to him and come into agreement with his plan. We're going to finish today in kind of a weird way. And, you know, I just, I just feel like we need to leave it a little bit open-ended because this is a very personal thing. You can walk away today. We can all walk away and we can just be like, wow, she's a little in need of a meal. <laughs> or <laughs> you can hear by the Spirit and you can pray what the psalmist prayed. Search me, O God, and know my heart. And see if there's any wicked way in me. And lead me in life everlasting. Because when we do, this holy calling, this holy opportunity is utterly transformative. And I believe who we are meant to be as individuals, as families, and corporately as a church, is this is meant to be a house that is on fire. But the fire purifies and the fire consumes. And it's very important that we are prepared and we are right with God. And so we're going to uh, finish today. I'm just going to, we're going to put a video on and fill the space. You're welcome to leave whenever you'd like. If you want to come and spend some time at the altars, do that if you want to sit in your seats. But this is a video from the closing session of the Passion Conference in Atlanta. And for those of you who have been tracking with that, the Passion Movement is a student movement. Once a year, they do a conference, and a lot of amazing ministry has come out of it. But we're talking young people. And what our studies are showing when they look at church in North America right now, they're showing that there's a gap in the adult population in our passion for Jesus. 
those that attend church attend sometimes and we're a little wishy-washy and you know it's things things are not necessarily where they should be but the upcoming generation those that come into the church those that come to Christ are passionately invested and they're like either it's worth giving my whole life to or it's not worth anything at all and so i believe god is calling us there is a there is a history biblically of abraham isaac and jacob abraham walked with god isaac was casual and Jacob wrestled to the point that it changed him forever. The Jacob generation is rising. Isaac, we have a chance if we will decide to be set apart and be holy. And so as this plays, it's really not that exciting. You can close your eyes. You can watch it, whatever. But it's the final session. 55,000 young people are going to sing us out tonight or today and want to encourage you to spend some time with the Lord. And as we finish this fast as a church, check your relationship with Him and check your heart and invite Him into the places that He needs to be invited into and taste and see that He is good. So Lord, today, as we've feasted on Your Word and we thank You for the reminder of who You are and how You operate God, I thank you for a holy reverence in this house. And Lord, whatever has been common to us, we repent of that, Lord. And we recognize and we discern well the body and blood of Jesus. We recognize that you alone are God, that you set the boundary lines, that you are good, that you are perfect, that you are true, and that you don't change. You don't have to change for our culture, and you don't have to change for our preferences, and you don't have to change for the kingdoms of this world. And so, Lord, today we purpose ourselves to align with you as individuals, as couples, as a church. We purpose ourselves to call you holy and to honor you in all that we do. May we be set apart and marked, and may we be graced to not defile ourselves with the King's delicacies. And we thank you for it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for listening to this message from Victory Church Grand Prairie. You can stay connected with us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube by using at VictoryChurchGP. If you have any questions, would like to access our online resources, or would like to sow into this ministry, you can visit us at www.victorygp.com. You can also text to give. Just text 587-207-4387 and follow the prompting. Thanks again for joining us at Victory GP. Reach. Teach. Mobilize.